I'm going to pray if, uh, you're, if you are prone to walk into a church and your heart just gets a little bit anxious um, or you just uh, are already thinking about what tomorrow is going to be or what the next month is going to be like, I want to pray that you would just, uh, even right now, just say, Lord, settle my heart into what you have for me. Settle me into what's going on around me. Settle my heart away from the things that have gone on in the past. Settle me into right now because you have something for me. So um, if you're prone to just kind of wander, pray that the Lord would just keep your mind engaged. Uh, okay, you with me? So uh, how many of you guys have been to the mountains before? Okay, yeah, yeah there we go. Who, who's been to the Smokies? It's a little bit further away right now. Uh, how about the Rockies? Anybody gone to something like exotic, out of the country kind of mountains? Anybody? Yeah, okay, all right. So the mountains, man, aren't they beautiful? Um, there are a few things that I hear. Like when, when you like hang around somebody who's been to the mountains, like they let you know they've been to the mountains normally. Like, hey, I, I've been there. You start talking about like, oh, that reminds me that one time that I went to the mountains and they tell you about everything that happened. There are a few things that I always hear when I talk to somebody who's been to the mountains. Uh, one of those is, oh, the mountains. They're so breathtaking. You ever hear that? You ever think that when you're on the mountain? And there's, yeah, every time, there's another one. Oh, the mountains, they're just so beautiful. And I would say, yeah, they're so beautiful. They're breathtaking and they're beautiful. But here's the one that stands out to me. And I love, and, and this doesn't just normally roll off the tongue. You're probably gonna hear this from somebody who's been in the faith or been around the church for a while. They say, man, when I was up on the mountain or whenever I'm in the mountains, I just feel so close to God. You guys ever feel that? Like when you've been in the mountains? or I hear that from somebody, I just, I just feel like, like the Lord and I are just really connected there. Um, last year, I went away to Colorado, um, and I got away to do a little bit of studying just to kind of get alone and to be with God, okay? And, and, and I think, guys, that we deal with this, and, and ladies, you probably deal with this a little bit too, but I think for men specifically, um, there are times where, um, where we just kind of look into the mirror, guys, I'm just talking to you, um, where we look in the mirror and uh, we start to ask ourselves questions, or we start to question like the grit that we've got in our gut or the grit that we have in our lives. And we, and we wonder sometimes, hey, am I enough? Am I talking to anybody? Am I, do I have what it takes? Um, do I have what it takes to be a good dad? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good boss or do I have what it takes to be a good leader? Do I have what it takes to, to be good at whatever it is the Lord, that, uh, the Lord has called me to? And, and ladies, I'm, I'm not saying that y'all don't deal with that stuff, but there is a heaviness sometimes that us men feel when it comes to, like, I don't know, like, God has called me to things, and I feel that he's called me to things, but I deal and I battle with this. I just don't know if I have what it takes to actually pull it off. Um, I was going through one of those seasons in life uh, last year, and I, and I was uh, just kind of beginning to battle with some of that internal stuff. And, and I was, maybe I was starting to believe a little bit more of what the enemy was whispering into my ear than believing what God had to say uh, about me. Uh, and so I was struggling with this. And then, so I went away and I got away to the mountains. And when I got there, I just started praying. I said, God, while we're here, would you just meet with me on top of this mountain? Would you just meet with me? And I, and I remember, guys, as, as sure as like this was yesterday, or even this morning, how clear it was to me. I, I hiked up this mountain, which what for me felt like it was huge, okay? For some of y'all mountain climbers and people like that, you do that for a living and you just really like that, it was probably like, oh, he just climbed up a hill. For me, this thing felt enormous. And so it was a big task for me uh, to get to the top. And, 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 and I get to the top or on my way there, it, I've already been snowed on, I've been rained on, 
the wind has been just like crazy the entire time. And I'm like, Lord, just first of all, like if we're going to meet, like don't let me die before that happens, okay? So like let's just get there and let's, let's, let's do our thing. Um, but I, I get to the top. And like it's been uh, pretty torrentous up to this point. And when I got there, um, I sat down on a rock. And, and, and I'm not joking. I'm not trying to be mystical or anything like that. When I sat down on the rock, like the wind stopped. Like the, the snow had already stopped, but it was still really, really windy. And like I'm on top of this mountain. I'm like, just don't blow me off, okay? I sat down, and, and the wind just kind of ceases. And I had this moment where I just felt like, man, God is here. God is in this midst. God, God is around me right now. He and I are about to have this time, and we're about to meet together. And I looked over at the mountain view and the things that were by me. I think there's a, a picture of it somewhere if it wasn't already up there. Um, this was the actual view that I had. Uh, I, I looked over um, this mountain view, and, 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 I, and I said the things. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. Oh, this is, this is breathtaking. And, and then, I, then I said the same thing that I said a minute ago. I, I just feel really close to the Lord right now. There's something about being on the mountain that lets you see God in a different way. There's something about gazing upon the majesty of the mountains and the work of his hands that just causes you to think, man, I'm not just, uh, like, this is big. He is so much bigger. The creation is magnificent. And it kind of puts you in your place, and you are just kind of in awe in that moment. And you realize, this didn't just happen. Somebody put this together. I want you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, if you're not already there. Mark chapter 9, and while you're flipping to Mark chapter 9, um, stop in Exodus 19, which is just the second book of your Bible there. Put your finger in there, because that's actually where we're going to start. So we're going to be in Exodus 19 and Mark chapter 9 this morning. Um, there are uh, so many places in the Scriptures when God uses the majesty of the mountains to reveal something about himself to his creation. Uh, so many times um, we see him reveal his character, a little bit of who he is. We see his law revealed. We see his justice sometimes being poured out from the mountain. We see a little bit of his grace from the mountaintop as well. And, and one thing that is always going to be true of Scripture that I think that we can tuck into our pockets this morning and walk away with this is that when God reveals something to us, whether it be on a mountain or whether it be down in a valley somewhere, when God reveals something to us, the expectation is that his people are going to respond to it the way that he has called them to respond to it. When God reveals something, that is the expectation. He doesn't tell us something about himself. He doesn't tell us something about the creation and expect for it just to sit dormant in our lives. When he, tell, when he reveals something, he's like, I want you to follow through on this and do something with what I'm revealing to you. I want you to look at Exodus 19. And I'll give you a little bit of context of what's been going on here in our Bibles up to this point. Um, at this point, God, he's, uh, he's called Moses to lead the people of Israel. Most of us are familiar with that story. But Moses, um, he's been a little bit squeamish. Actually, he's been a little bit of punk about this. Um, God is like, hey, I want you to lead my people. And Moses is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And God is like, no, I want you to come out here and I want you to lead my people. And, and we got to give him a little bit of a credit because Israel at the time, this is a lot of people to lead. Israel has expanded and expanded and expanded. And when you look at this, you're like, I can't handle all of this. There's so many people that he would have to lead. And then I think as a man, guys, he sees that task and he battles with, I don't know if I have what it takes 
to lead all these people. And you see this in the responses that Moses gives back to God. He's like, no, I can't do that. And, and, and the Lord says, yes, you can. I've chosen you for this. And he says, no, choose somebody else. And the Lord's like, no, I have picked you to do this. I don't speak well. I don't do well in public. I get stage fright. He's like, no, I have chosen you for this moment here. You've got this. You've got what it takes because I am going to be with you when I call you to this. And Moses battles around with this for a little bit. And then he eventually, he gives in. And you watch God do this amazing work with Moses in the lead, but God is behind it. He's doing the work. And God leads Israel out of Egypt, away from the oppression of the Egyptians. It's a miraculous thing that God does. It's a beautiful story. I was talking with our kids the other day. We're talking about like they're, they're reading a lot of books and they, they just both, like both of the big two, they just love to read. And, and like kind of the Bible is getting set aside a little bit. I'm like, oh, hey, let's get this back in order. And like, but these books just have so much more adventure. I'm like, here, let me show you a couple stories. <laughs> and, and you go back to these. And like the Bible is full of amazing stories. The, every story that is written that has adventure and amazing heroes and villains, like that is all formatted from what the scriptures give us. This is the format that forms every other good story. And so I just have to remind him, like, this story is amazing. So even in uh, Egypt, and you see Israel being uh, led out of there by the beautiful hand of God, you see this amazing story. And it's fascinating, miraculous. Uh, and so um, while this is happening, okay? This, this has gone down. God is now calling Moses to come up and to meet with him on top of the mountain. They've been wandering around in the desert for a little while. They've been complaining a little bit, and God calls Moses to come and meet with him. And I want to read how this interaction with Moses uh, and God goes. And so Exodus chapter 19, we'll have it up here on the screen. It says, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp in, at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of, the Mount, of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the people of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant... What he's saying, if you will listen to me, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message that you must give to the people of Israel. So God is meeting with Moses here, and, and he's saying, you've seen who I am. You know what I'm capable of. I've delivered you, and I've saved you. And now, as a people group, I am setting you apart to work with you in this marvelous, marvelous way. And I'm going to give you a way to stay connected to me. I'm going to give you a way to follow me and to live connected with me and to live in relationship with me. All I want you do, to do now is to go and tell everybody else about this. And so he goes down the mountain and tells the people what God had told him. And then we have verse 8. Here's the response of the people. And all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. And at that, we kind of raise an eyebrow and say, really? You're going to do everything that the Lord's commanded? Because we read the rest of the story and we know it doesn't really play out that well. But at this moment, they say, we're going to do everything that God has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud. Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. 
then they will always trust you. So Moses goes back down the mountain. He gets everybody ready. He helps them get prepared to meet with God. But here is a magnificent part of the story. This is very important that we can't miss. God says in this, you need to set up a boundary for the people around the mountain because only you are going to be able to come up on the mountain. Nobody else can come up on top of the mountain because if anybody else follows you up here, they are going to die. This is between you and me. A little bit later, um, Aaron's going to be allowed to come up. So he's only you and your brother who's going to be your spokesman because you said you can't talk in front of people. I'm going to let him come up here. So it's going to be you and me and your brother Aaron. Nobody else can come up into the mountain. Nobody else can touch the mountain because if they do, they're going to get smoked. Look at verse 12. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people. Be careful. Don't go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. You read that, you're like, whoa, I didn't know that was in the story. Like, this seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? Why would God tell Moses for nobody to touch the mountain and for nobody to even get close to where he's about to go? I think there is a distinction that's being made right now between the holiness of God and what is common. There is a line that's being drawn here. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. There is a holy God who is on the mountain and that is about to come down and he's about to meet with his people and this is no small deal. This is a huge thing that the holy God who's created everything is about to have face-to-face conversation with somebody that he's created. It's a big deal. And so now the holiness of God has been described throughout the scriptures. We've tried to understand it as a human population. Um, And the way that people have understood it in the past has been described like this, like feeling the weight of perfection. It's uh, come from the the Hebrew word kadosh or or kadesh. And uh, it means to bear up under the weight of something. To bear up under the weight of all that is true, all that is beautiful, all that is right. There's a beauty that comes along with the holiness of God, but there's also a heaviness that comes along with it too. I remember when I was in uh, uh, Bible college, my, one of my theology professors, uh, guy's a bald, bald guy, tall, skinny, and he had the longest fingers I'd ever seen in my life, okay? And, and I remember when he would be talking about the holiness of God, he would stand there and, and he would say, the holiness of God is like somebody trying to hold up all the weight of the universe, and trying to uphold all the perfection that ever could be perfect. And there's this beauty that's there, but there's this heaviness, and it's terrifying, and it's amazing. And, and he would try to, to describe what this kadosh means, what it looks like to be holy, and what it looks like to be, um, to be righteous, and what it looks like to carry this weight. He said it was terrifying, and it was beautiful at the same time. Sometimes when uh, we try to grasp the holiness of God, um, we try to think of things that we know because you don't really have a concept for it, right? Do you know anybody who's holy? Like, you know, do, do you know anybody who's in that camp outside of Christ? Like, we try to figure out what the, these theological things mean and these biblical things mean, but we're trying to figure out heavenly things with earthly words or with earthly concepts. And so what we do is we try to describe them with things that we know. And so we're like, oh, my grandmother, man, like she's next to perfection. Like, she's like a saintly woman. 
Or think about Betty, our aunt, and, and it's just like, man, she is amazing. Like, she will take something to anybody. Like, if there is anybody godly, that's who it is. And so we try to compare the holiness of God with somebody or something that we know. So we think that maybe holiness is like maybe a few steps better than grandma, a few steps better than, than, than Aunt Betty. Um, but I want you to listen to what A.W. Tozer says about the holiness of God. A.W. Tozer was a guy who, he was a, he was a pastor, um, he was a scholar. He absolutely loved the Lord, and he walked faithfully with him the best that he knew how. And he wrote about it, and he was an encouragement to those who read his works. And here's what he says about the holiness of God. He says, we cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of somebody or something very pure and then raising the concepts to the highest degree that we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. That's the holiness of God, trying to be explained by somebody who's trying to understand what he's reading in the scriptures. So if this is true, if this is what holiness can be, uh, what we think about when we think about holiness and, and other things as well, you, you certainly didn't just trample into the presence of God back then. You didn't just like show me like, hey, here I am. So Moses comes down and he gets everybody ready. And then on the third day, here's what goes down in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the Mount of Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Can you imagine being Moses in this moment? Woo! The mountain's on fire. Smoke is rolling everywhere. There's ram's horns that are blowing like crazy. The world is thundering. He's like, come on up here, Moses. He's like, I don't think I will. I don't know if I'm coming back from this. But yet Moses, he climbs the mountain and this is a beautiful, a beautiful and terrifying thing at the same time. God calls Moses up the mountain, and why he does this is that he wants to reveal something to not only Moses, but he wants to reveal something to all the people. He has something that he wants them to know. Obviously, that God was totally holy. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's terribly powerful. And, and yet, as he shows off his holiness, here's what he really wants them to see. There's this tenderness He's beckoning them to come and follow him, to come and listen to, to him. He's saying, this is how you can know me. This is how I want to relate with you. This is how I want you to walk with me. What he is saying in this broad display of his holiness, he is saying, come and listen to me. And, that, and, and that's it. Come and listen to me. How do you get to know a holy God? Well, you listen to him. It's how he says, this is how you get to know me. You listen to me. And now the, the people had said, we're going to come and we're going to listen to you. We're going to obey every word. 
But then you open up the Old Testament and you go from page to page to page and you wonder, where was the obedience? When was what you were saying actually happening? And we read the stories like, oh no, they did it again. Oh no, they did it again. And you read it, you're like, are they, are they gonna fix it this time? Oh no, they did it again. And then you put it down and then you come back to your reading plan a year later and you're like, you get to the same part. Like, I wonder if it's gonna get different this time. You know, like you're watching a movie and you forgot that you saw the ending and then you're like, maybe he's actually going to win this time. And then you read it like, no, they're doing the same thing over and over again. They say, we're going to listen, but yet it just falls. And here's the beauty of the gospel and why we can approach a holy God like this right now. It's because this disobedience isn't where the story ends. This disobedience gives way to the glory and the weight and the perfection of a holy God through the Son, Jesus. And so we look at Mark chapter 9, and we see another picture of what happened on Sinai, but now it's happening in the New Testament. You're seeing a transition away from the old, and we're moving into the new as we open up and we look at Mark chapter 9. Are you guys with me? Okay. Jesus is coming here. So um, we know from Mark chapter 8 that Jesus has already been hanging out with the disciples, We know that there's already been this question that Jesus threw out last week. He said, hey, who are people out there uh, saying that I am? What are people saying about me? And some are saying, well, you're maybe one of the prophets, or um, maybe you're John the Baptist, or or maybe maybe you're even Elijah. There's all kinds of different ideas about who Jesus is. And then Jesus says, well, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter, you remember, Peter jumped in, and, and he said, you're the Messiah. And we looked at that last week and what the Messiah means and what he was actually confessing. But at the same time that he makes this ridiculous, amazing confession of faith that Jesus is the Messiah, he also shows that he doesn't really understand and get what's going on here. He's still confused because Jesus says just a little bit later after he makes that confession, he says, I'm going to go die. And then after I die, I'm going to be buried. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again from that. I'm going to take my life back up. And Peter takes him aside. You remember this? The audacity of Peter. And, and he says, that's never going to happen. And he rebukes Jesus. Remember that strong word, that rebuke, that reprimand, the same thing that Jesus said to the waves to stop waving or doing whatever they were doing in the ocean that was scaring everybody to death? He said, stop. It's the same rebuking that Jesus gave to the ocean that Peter gives to Jesus. No. Don't even think something like that. Don't even say anything like that. And so there's still this confusion in Peter, which trickles down to the rest of the disciples too. It just shows everybody's trying to still figure this thing out. And so Jesus says, okay, let's clear this up. And the one way that we've cleared this up all throughout history is that we take people up to the mountain and we let people see who we are. We let people see who I am. So there's a lot that's happening in this Mark chapter 9 passage. But um, all this week, it's been a really busy week, but all week, um, the thing that's been going and racking around in my mind is what I want to point out. Uh, There's one thing that I want to point out uh, in in this section. And we're going to read about, we're going to read a lot of this section, but when we get to the end uh, of verse 7 and 8, I'm going to point out something to you. Okay, here's verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. Now, first of all, um, we don't know why Jesus singles out these three. We often read this like, why Peter? Why James? Why John? Were they doing something significant? Were they better than everybody else? Um, a lot of commentaries and, and scholars, they're going to say, well, maybe it's because that Peter, James, and John are going to be significant and building the church later on, that they're going to help plant the church, that Jesus had to start spending more intense time with these three so they would be ready and prepared for it uh, when that actually uh, happens. 
Um, but I don't think we actually know why Jesus chose these three other than the fact that these are the three that Jesus chose to take up the mountain. Um, it is true that you do see him begin to spend a little more intimate time with these three than all the 12, um, but it would be speculation to say that it's going to be because of this particular reason that happens later after the church. Could be, but we don't know for certain. All we know is that he takes these three guys up there. And so he takes them up this mountain, and it's either Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor because those are the two larger mountains kind of in the region. Um, so they're heading up the mountain. And uh, the second part of verse 2, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Mamas, don't you want that kind of bleach for your kids' clothes? Wouldn't that be amazing? Okay, um, try to follow with me on this. Uh, the word transfigure or transformed there in verse 2, uh, it's the Greek word metamorpho. okay? Um, what does that sound like to you? Metamorpho. Yeah, yeah, I heard, I heard a couple of people. It sounds like uh, metamorphosis. And metamorphosis, what it means, it means is to change in a manner that other people can see. It's not changing the ingredients of something, but is rearranging things in a way that you can see them differently. The ingredients are already there, but now it's just presenting a little bit differently. So um, I'm not a baker, but this illustration popped into my mind when I came in this morning. Um, if I were to bake a cake, okay, um, you probably wouldn't want to eat it, but if I were to try to bake a cake um, and I were to take some of the ingredients out of the cake, it would no longer be the cake that it was supposed to be inside the pan. But if I were to leave all those ingredients in and I were to put those ingredients and mix them well, get it all together, I put it in a 9 by 13 pan, got a little sheet cake, put it in the oven, it comes out, I've got a cake, right? If I were to take those exact same ingredients and put them in a pan that was made for cupcakes, I would have the same thing but it would present itself different. Does that make sense? I still have the same ingredients. Nothing has changed about Jesus and who he actually is. The ingredients have always been there. On the mountain, now he's allowing them to see what has always been there. He's presenting himself differently in front of the people. Some people will say, well, this is the moment where Jesus became God. This is the moment where all things change. No, he has always been this. He is now presenting himself in a way that they can understand or that is actually going to terrify them in just a moment. So what's happening in this moment? What Jesus is doing is he's showing them the full picture. They're getting the whole deal. He's fully revealing his glory and his holiness to these three men here on the mountain. The heaviness, the weight of perfection, the visible and the tangible is now in front of them now. And it's terrifying to these guys. They don't know what to do with it. It freaks them out, actually. Uh, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, there is a remarkable consistency with how God chooses to reveal himself then and how he chooses to reveal himself in the New Testament and how even he chooses to reveal himself now. He's remarkably consistent. In the Old Testament, he takes Moses up Mount Sinai and he says, this is who I am. And then when you get to the New Testament, we have this other Sinai moment where he takes three guys up to the mountain and the story is still the same. This is who I am. This is who he is. This is who we are. I'm showing you the fullness of who I am. And so for a minute, these three men, they are just utterly confused because while they're standing there, it's not just Jesus. Elijah shows up and Moses shows up. Look at verse 4. 
Then Elijah and Moses appeared, and they began talking with Jesus. Now, can you imagine the level of confusion that these guys, like, they go up the mountain, Jesus has just blown their mind, he's full glory right in front of them, and they're like trying to take it all in. And now you've got Moses and Elijah, heroes of the faith for them, that are now having a conversation with Jesus. That's radical. That's nuts. How do they know it's Elijah? How do they know it's Moses? This is years after these guys died. I don't know. They just somehow know that this is Elijah and Moses. They, scripture doesn't tell us. But yet they are trying to figure this out. And Peter is all kinds of confused. Why are Moses and Elijah there? I don't know. The best that I can figure from commentaries that I've read and just from studying the passage, I think that Moses, he represents the law. Does he not? He, he represents the old covenant. Um, he, for the people of Israel, has represented uh, the, the commandments. And so when the people thought about Moses, what they thought about was the law, what they thought about the commandments, the promise that God had made to them as a people. And then when you look at Elijah, there are some thoughts that people had about Elijah also. Elijah, when somebody thought about him, they thought about the prophets. So you've got the law and you've got the prophets, all of which has been pointing to this moment here. And, and in this, what Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to realize in this moment right now that I am greater than the law, that I am greater than Moses, that I am greater than the prophets, and I'm showing you why right now in this moment. So why does Jesus do this right now, though? That's, that's a pretty good question, because um, people at the time, they had been wondering. They'd been talking about, hey, who is this guy? Is he one of the prophets? Is he somebody that we know? Is he just nobody special? Who is this guy? So that's being thrown out there, but also the disciples are having their own thing going on. They just heard Jesus say that he's going to go and he's going to die. They weren't expecting that. They're trying to process this. And so they're thinking, how does a Savior die? How does the Messiah go and die? Heroes don't die. Saviors don't die. Messiahs don't die. What the Messiah is supposed to do, he's supposed to come, and he's supposed to overthrow the government, and he's supposed to set up his kingdom, and he's supposed to do that now. And so when Jesus starts talking about dying, there's more confusion. They are utterly confused. Um, I don't know how y'all do movies, um, but when I watch a movie and there's a plot twist, um, I'm lost. Until they spell it out at the end of the movie, I'm just, for the rest of the time, I'm trying to get my feet underneath of me trying to figure the thing out. And then they finally get to the end, I'm like, oh, that's why that happened, and that's why that happened. Okay, these guys right now are confused. They're in the plot twist. They can't figure out the ending yet. They're confused. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 5, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Yeah, let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Y'all been in a moment where you just don't know what to say? You've been around somebody that like has a lot of um, uh, notoriety, um, and you're like, oh, man, I'd really like to meet that person. And then you meet him, you're like, <laughs> and you just kind of start shrinking. You know, you just don't know what to say sometimes. Like, these guys are in this moment, and Peter's speaking for everybody. He's like, let's just build some tower. Let's build some houses. Let's just camp out here for a while. Let me get my feet up underneath of me and figure this thing out. He is the holiness and the weight of God, the beauty of God in front of them, and the terror mixed in at the same time is what Peter is uh, announcing here. It makes me laugh. 
Um, they're, they're seeing the full weight of God, and it's terrifying and beautiful. This is the part where I want to uh, focus here in verse 7 and 8. Um, again, there's so much more to this passage. We're going to stop at verse 8. So read the rest of the story when you go home. But this is the thing that God just kept putting on my heart this week. Verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. Let's see if we can figure out something here together. Peter, James, and John, they're on the mountain with Jesus. Jesus is totally transformed in front of them. He has metamorphed in front of them. He's revealed his holiness. The whole weight of his glory is right there in front of them. So why is this happening? It's happening for the words that God the Father says in this moment right now. So that they could hear God the Father speak these words over God the Son in this moment. If this cloud is anything like what Exodus 19 shows us, this is a marvelous, this is a marvelous sight uh, with lightning and thunder and the awesome display of God's power. If it's anything like Exodus 19, don't you think these men knew that they were in the very presence of God right now? Don't you think they, you, they, you know, that they, like their world is beginning to change? He says, this is my son. This is who he is. Guys, this is the confidence that the disciples needed to hear and they were hearing it from the mouth of God about Jesus. This is the one that I, that he's always been who created all this and I've sent him to you. And the very next words, did you notice them? You notice what does he say? This is my son. Come on, go on, come on. It's hard because we have to live this out, right? This is my son. Listen to him. If this is true, and it is, if this is God, there is no other option than for us to listen to him and what he has revealed to us. There's no other, there's no other way. Listen to him. It's the same thing that he told the people in Israel in Exodus 19. He revealed his holiness, and he said, now listen to me. Follow the command. Follow the covenant. And here he says it again. He reveals the holiness of God, and he says, listen to me. Or he says, listen to him. And when he says, listen to him, he's saying, this is part of me. This is me. Follow him. What do you think he wants the people to do when he says, listen to me? <laughs> he wants them to listen to Jesus doesn't he? So um, this might seem crazy, but write that down somewhere on your paper. Make a note of this. Somewhere you're going to remember this throughout the week. Listen to Jesus. There's going to be a moment this week where you're struggling and you're thinking, well, I'll just do whatever it is I want to do. And that's going to come out like, oh, listen to Jesus. Huh, okay. Novel idea. That's what I'll do. Here's why I want to point this out. Our problem isn't usually an issue of revelation. We don't struggle with that. I, we look at the scriptures, and I, I think internally, most of us believe that, that they've been validated and that he is true. There isn't usually a problem believing that, that God is true and even holy. I know that there are some who battle with this and are still struggling with this, and, and there, there's, this, there's this thought process that you're working through, and you're asking God to show up, and you keep putting out these blankets saying, if you do this, and if you do this, and if you show up in this way, then I'll believe. But most of us, we don't struggle believing like God has revealed something to us in his word and revealed something to us in his son. We don't struggle with that. What we struggle with, our problem is, is often our response to his word, the response to what he's revealed to us. And so I'll say it like this. The problem isn't revelation. It's our response to what God reveals. 
It's what we do with what he's told us, what he's instructed us with. Am I willing to do what he's asked me to do, or am I going to continue to choose my own way? If I'm willing to follow him into the things that he's called me to, my life is going to look radically different. We're going to do things that don't make sense to the world. We're going to go to places that don't make sense to the rest of the world. Or we'll just choose to do our, our own thing. Do we respond to what's been made known? One of the best passages in Scripture that I think is very convicting and very, and very hard for, for us as individuals, but I think it's also hard for our culture right now, is Romans chapter 1. Okay? Romans chapter 1 is very convicting. Uh, write it down. Read it in your own time. We're not going to go there totally. Um, but in the thing, what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 is that in the things that God has revealed, um, man chooses to continue to do his own thing. What, with what God has revealed to us and given us his truth on, what Paul said is, is that we've exchanged that truth, that thing that he's revealed, and we've exchanged it for a lie, or we've exchanged it for something that's deceptive for us. And that's a hard pill to swallow as an individual, but as a culture also. There are things that God has made known to us when we look around the creation, when we stand on top of a mountain, when we look out at trees. There are things that he likes to reveal to us through his creation. There's a ton of it. Uh, theologians, that they call this um, general revelation. It's where you look out and you can see, you know what? All of this didn't just happen. <laughs> I am mesmerized by this, and I may even love to believe that it just happened. But I can't because of the order and the structure of how this stuff works. There is somebody who has actually made this work together, who's created this order and design in this. Have you guys seen the new uh, telescope that NASA came out with? The Webb telescope? Holy smokes. Is that not gorgeous? Or the images that are coming back from that thing, absolutely amazing. We had the, the Hubble telescope for a while, which was like sent back amazing pictures of what um, the atmosphere looks like and what outer space looks like in the universe and, and beyond, right? Like just seeing all the stuff. And now they've got the Webb telescope. And if you haven't seen it, like, these are a few of the pictures. These are not made up, okay? These like look like characters of something. These are pictures that the Webb telescope has, has sent back, okay, or that they've been able to see. And all those things that look like little stars, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. And it's billions and billions and billions of stars that make up a galaxy. And so every one of those is a galaxy upon a galaxy upon a galaxy that God has created. And so the more we dive in and look at outer space, the things that have been unknown, we continue to see the creative hand of an awesome God who keeps putting this stuff together, okay? So what general revelation is going to say is that we can look out and see without reservation that somebody has built this thing and put this together. It's the kind of stuff that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1. God has made himself known in the past. He's revealed himself in nature, and he's going to keep doing that with greater and greater detail. And yet there are some who continue to reject what God's revealed to us through his word and throughout his creation. Then you have something that's called special revelation or specific revelation. And this is when God uses his word or he uses the Holy Spirit or a moment on the mountain with him where he reveals something. And, and historically, he's, he's used also visions and dreams to reveal something specific about who he is. And without question, we understand the truth of Jesus and his holiness. And, and we end, that ends up being salvific, salvific because we come to Christ because of what he's revealed to us in his son. 
Like we can't come to that in general revelation. It takes his spirit doing work in us. And so he reveals that to us. And when he does that, there is this expectation that people are going to respond to what he's revealed, okay? Wrapping up right here. But we're living in a culture that is routinely suppressing that truth where God's revealing himself, yet instead of listening to him, what we're doing is that we are steadily moving away from him. We are steadily exchanging the truth of God for the deception and the lie of our culture and the world. And when I was reading this week um, and I was studying, here's some stuff that was rattling around in my mind. And this isn't the culture bash. This is just say this is where we're at as we're struggling with holding on to truth in the midst of a culture that seems to be eroding or even imploding from the inside out, okay? I, I thought, you know, we can't let the culture tell us what the Bible says, right? We can't let the culture tell us what the scriptures tell us. We can't let them explain how we're supposed to understand the scriptures and what it's been revealed to us. God does that through his word for us. And so our revelation, it comes from God and not what's popular today. If we're following what the culture says, um, it, that we're supposed to believe about God, we're going to find ourselves in the gutter pretty quickly. What God says is listen to him, right? To listen to what he's got to say, referring to Jesus. And so if we follow what God's revealed to us through his creation and what he's spoken to us in his word that's still relevant for our lives today, uh, what was going to happen is we're going to start to do things that just don't make sense. We're going to start to live in a way that we don't understand. And why, why do we do that? Well, um, we're, we're going to be like, I don't know why I just gave money to some cause. I don't know why I just showed love to somebody who's been hurting me my entire life. I don't know why I showed forgiveness to somebody who doesn't, in my historical mind, deserve forgiveness. But now I'm following a different script. My eyes have been opened to what God has said and who God is. I've seen Jesus revealed. And so God says, follow and listen to him. So that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. The culture today will not lead us to follow Jesus. Unless somebody knows Jesus, they're not going to encourage us to follow Jesus. They um, will not lead us to the truth. But who wants to lead us to the truth is, is Jesus himself. And so how does that relate to us today? If I'm willing to hear God's word as spoken in the scriptures as relevant for me today, what happens is now I have guidance for my life. Now I have direction for my life where everything is changing and shifting around. I've got something that is anchored that I can stand on. If Jesus is the son of God who's been revealed to us, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament and in our world today through his word and in his creation, that means that we are able to listen to what he has to say for us today. That means we have a solid direction on things that are just constantly shifting around us. So when we are reading things and hearing things in the news and decisions that are being made and, and decisions that come down like Roe versus Wade, right? We measure that against what God's word has to say. Say, what, how has God spoken to this issue? And we come to issues like, well, what do I do on relationships? Well, we come back to the scriptures. What does God have to say about relationships? What, what do we do with sexuality? Well, what does God have to say about sexuality? What, what do I do with my life and the lives of people around me? Well, what does God have to say with how we navigate our life and how we live with him? How do we love people and how do we love people well and how do we come along people and love people like Jesus does? Well, what does God's word have to say to us? 
We listen to him. And everything else that is shifting and changing and moving away from God, the thing that doesn't change is God himself and his word. And he's revealed himself to us through his son Jesus. And he's revealed himself to us in his word. And that's where we find our script. That's where we find our playbook. And that's how we listen to him. We let his voice be louder than any other voice that's coming in. It's the voice and the direction that doesn't change. And so it really isn't the revelation that we struggle with. It's the response to the revelation that he's given to us. Will we choose to follow what we want to follow or will we choose to follow him as he's revealed himself to us? When we see Jesus and when we see him revealed, it changes how we listen and it changes how we follow. What I want to do is I want to invite you up the mountain this week for you to get alone with God wherever you're at with him. And I say, God, would you meet me in this place? You don't have to be on top of a rock in order to get alone with Jesus. You don't have to be in some distant area to get alone with Jesus, but you open up the scriptures or you sit down and get alone with him and say, God, would you meet me in this place? And I'm gonna tell you what, he will reveal himself to you. If your heart is desiring to know him, he will reveal himself to, to you. So I'm going to invite you up the mountain.